It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by MTV News correspondent Yoonj Kim. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. How are you holding up? Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm good, you know, all things considered. It's been a intense week, as I'm sure you've heard if you've been on social media yeah. or watching the news uh, for the Asian American community. Um, but it's uh, I think this past weekend I just took the time to read the actual victims' stories because they're starting to come out, um, the stories of them and their families. Yes. And so that's kind of, it's been helpful in uh, feeling connected to. That was actually where else. I wanted to start with you because I think that we haven't, yeah. we haven't had enough reporting that centers the victims. So I, I've seen right. on your Twitter feed that you have been doing exactly that. And I just wanted to, to ask you, what what do we know about them? What should we know about them? If we had the, the media coverage that we wanted of this, what, what would we already know about the people who lost their lives? Right. It was, um, it's been a bit slow receiving that information, but so far that uh, we know that six were Asian, six were Asian women. Four of them were Korean. It's not clear uh, what their citizenship status is, but at least two of the Korean women whose families set up GoFundMes, they have been living in America for a while. One of them was married to an American man. And the first story that I heard about that really stuck with me was that of Hyun Jung Kim. Her married name is Grant. Her 23-year-old son started a GoFundMe because with the murder of his mother, him and his younger brother are now left alone in the States, just the two of them. And he wrote that she was a massage parlor worker, a masseuse, and that she took care of him and his brother and that he was she was pretty much his best friend. And he was at a loss for words. I think he literally wrote that her murder has opened up my eyes to the amount of hate in the world, which was just like, wow. Like, very, Oof. you know, you just there's just no words to respond to that. Um, but fortunately, no. given the outpouring of support and the public uproar and the coverage that we do have, he has managed to raise uh, enough money to cover her funeral expenses, I think, and then um, it remains to be seen what more will be done. As for the other victims' families, I the latest I heard was um, beyond the couple others who have publicly set up uh, donation pages. They're still trying to reach out to some of the families, I believe, at least one or two, but it's not certain. We're still so waiting. It's when when we had you on earlier um, in lockdown, and it's, so it's it you're one of the guests who like we we spoke to you in studio like right before we locked down and we've talked right. a few times mm-hmm. since we've locked down um and so it's always interesting to sort of come back around to the things that have been a through line which is the violence towards the asian american community we've had you on to talk about that before like before this happened so in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways we we all saw this coming 
And I think that's another part of it that feels horrible, right? When you see yeah. something bad coming and then mm-hmm. it happens and you're like, we all saw this coming. Well, how could we not have prevented this? I mean, can you speak to that part of the pain that, that I think a lot of people are feeling since last week because this both felt inevitable but also very preventable in in maybe yeah. not in the specific instance because you know he there's no background check he just went and got a gun like you know there's a lot of different elements and specific facts that um are unique to this case but i i do feel like we all were talking about with you and you know in other conversations about the threat of violence and more violence, escalating violence, because it was happening more and more. We were seeing it on, on our social feeds. Definitely. And, you know, outlets like MTV News, where I've been covering this, you know, places like you guys, Sirius XM, people have been sounding the alarm on this since the coronavirus started with the rhetoric that came out of the previous administration that's been directly correlated with this unprecedented wave of violence you know it's been it's been a 150 percent increase in attacks against asian people since the start of covid so the data speaks for itself and but the thing about the fact that you know that this is inevitable is it's so especially painful because it means to some degree that our society is complicit like, if you know that a crime is going to happen, if you know that people are going to suffer, and you know why, and there are steps that you can take to avoid it, steps that other people have been telling you about, and yet this still happens, it's like, okay, you know, what, like, what, what how do we go on right. from here? And the response from law enforcement, um, the sheriff's department that's overseeing these uh, murders, it's just, you know, it's only added salt to the wound because as you've heard like they would go on about they basically took the side of the perpetrator you know trying to show things from his perspective saying that he had a bad day as if that's an excuse for murdering eight people and so that was that was you know everybody had a field day with that but another part about the inevitability though that i do find uh, it's kind of a silver lining is the fact that Georgia did not have an anti-hate crime law until last year, mm-hmm. until last June, after the death of Ahmad Arbery, the black man who was shot while jogging by a father and his son. And the fact that Georgia was one of the few states that didn't have an anti-hate crime law, and these laws are so important because hate crimes in America are prosecuted state by state. And so I think that death as well, you know, triggered such a public outcry during the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, or I think it was maybe just before it, or right around the same time. And people were like, you know, we've been telling you for years, for centuries, really, that Black Americans are being targeted and are being hunted down, and that we need special protections to make sure that these things, if not, if maybe not happen, that there are consequences for people you know, who choose to act on racist motivations. And so this law was passed. And it's the same hate crime bill now in Atlanta that could be used to prosecute the Atlanta murder if it is deemed to indeed be a hate crime, which is a separate controversy in itself. What's your sense of, of where that where that shakes out and why why it's a 
Why is it a question at all that this was a hate crime? The way that the law describes hate crimes, or in order for a hate crime to be prosecuted, requires explicit words, you know, like uh, a racial slur or for the suspect to have posted stuff online that talks about the China virus or anything like that. And if they don't explicitly indicate that race or bias was a factor, then it's extremely hard to prove in court. Now, one of the first things that the sheriff's department said was, oh, he says it was a sex addiction that led him to do this, which there are so many things that obviously people find wrong with. Like if it was really a sex addiction, for example, why did he target six Asian massage parlors when there are a ton of adult businesses in the rest of the city, you know? And it also, I think this is a more nuanced point in that, Asian women and sex work have historically been linked, have always been stereotyped together. So you can't really remove race from this when he was targeting Asian massage workers um, who may or may not have been in the industry. And just even the fact that they worked in massage parlors and that he was saying that it was for a sex addiction, it just shows like you just can't separate the two from each other. And so that's, also opened up a conversation about the intersection of Asian Americans and the stereotyping that's been going on in this country. Um, And it really, just to give you a really brief history flashback, Chinese women were the first targets of American legislation against outsiders, basically xenophobic legislation with the Page Act a couple centuries ago. And it, it explicitly prevented Chinese women from entering America because the country equated them with prostitution. So it was basically, you know, the stereotype was codified into American law from essentially the beginning of Asian immigration into this country. And so that's the level of bias uh, that we're fighting at the same time. Wow. That. That's you wrote I didn't a, know that. That's deep. Yeah, I thought I thought that that was uh, that that the the reason for that law had been ostensibly to prevent the Chinese men who were coming to work on the railroads from like establishing families. Um, this makes more sense given the kind of country that we are. Um, right. Speaking of the kind yeah, of country I think that, that we was are. The main... <laughs> Yeah, you talk. Sure. You write about the the tacit cultural acceptance of Asian slurs in our country. Like that, there is a there is a sort of casual acceptance of these stereotypes. Um, we 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 don't, as a society, call them out in the same way that we do when other groups are being targeted this way. Right. Um, draw that through line for people from from that sort of tacit acceptance of these these stereotypes about Asian women and fetishization of Asian women and it, it, I mean it all comes down to dehumanization of Asian women draw the draw the through right. line for people of 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 letting those jokes slide and what happened in Atlanta right I mean like you said there's just this real culture of tacit, casual joking uh, around Asian Americans. And that can really be traced back to the model minority stereotype 
which you've, which we've talked about, I think, during our last conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's this perception in America that Asians are hyper-successful, that there's no problems, that they make a lot of money, are super educated, um, all of which, you know, it's, it's not true. Just because we see a couple movies about crazy rich Asians, it's not representative of the entire community, which speaks multiple dozens of languages and come from various countries across the world with different, you know, levels of GDP, different yeah. levels of um, different backgrounds. And so, but this model minority stereotype has created the perception that there's really nothing to make fun of Asians about except straight up jokes, often about appearance. Um, and we saw this conversation really play out in the cultural sphere, actually, in the last couple of weeks with the Teen Vogue editor-in-chief, the former Teen Vogue of mm-hmm. editor-in-chief. Yeah. I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys have been following that, but yep. basically... Yeah, we yeah, talked about it. Condé, right. So Condé Nast had hired an editor who, it turned out she had tweeted a couple of derogatory comments about Asians when she was in college, and these were straight up explicit references to Asian appearances, you know, like something about swollen Asian eyes um, and things like that. And at the time when the story broke a couple weeks ago, there was an uproar, you know, and people were calling for her resignation. But it was only after the Atlanta murders that Condé Nast and this editor-in-chief decided to part ways. And so I think... My personal perspective on that is I think that shows a gradual shift, something that we haven't really seen before. The fact that this tacit acceptance of joking about Asian people, about Asian appearance and superficial things, it's finally not being accepted because, like you said, this is a long-winded way of answering your question, uh, connecting that to the murders a lot of the fetishization of Asian women just comes from direct, you know, references to the way uh, Asian women look, assumptions about Asian women's submissiveness, all of which were, again, stereotypes. They're not, you know, it's not really, it's not a real thing. Um, and so I think people are starting to see that even small comments, um, and jokes will contribute to this culture of violence. And we found that out in really a very tragic way this past week. I think it's really important for that accountability to happen. I know there's a debate over whether or not, um, you know, this particular editor, Alexi McCammon, who I know from MSNBC, but, you know, we're not we're not friends, but obviously uh-huh. know her from, from MSNBC, you know, whether or not, right. you know, well, she was young when she did it. Um, she apologized. She has obviously right. not ever done anything like that since. Um, so there's that one part of the argument. But I actually come down on the side that, you know, if there is going to be accountability, and I'm saying this as somebody who's like, God knows what I've tweeted. But, <laughs> um, you know, nothing like that, though, <laughs> to be clear. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, uh, but that's but important. I, but, like, no, but, I've tweeted but, a lot of dumb shit. No, no, no. But, never no, but what like I'm that. saying. Okay, sorry. Keep no, going. but I'm going to I'm ending where you where you think I am, Jess. <laughs> I land on the side <laughs> of I think it's good that there is accountability because the tweets were bad. Right. So, it, you know, it, yeah. I think yeah. they, they were really, really bad. And so I think once the Atlanta 
murders took place and people were like, okay, no, like we can't actually know um, because there's real pain there. And there was even mm-hmm. more pain. It was like compounded um, because because of the way in which um, everything is so normalized going from, you know, be, people joking about it and no one ever calling that out to all the way down the spectrum to like actual violence. And you have to stop it on the one end of the spectrum. That's why you have to call it out every time. It's not because you just like calling people out for their bias. It's because you have to, you want it to stop. You want people to think twice before mm-hmm. um, tweeting a joke like that or tweeting a, not even a joke, but just in a complete and total dehumanizing insult about an entire group mm-hmm. of people. I, I mean, I, sometimes I, I think about the things people tweet and like, I'm, t- I'm, an, I'm first to hold my hand up and be like, if I have tweeted anything that's ever, you know, like been inappropriate, like it should be deleted probably because I probably was like that is not right. right. And usually I'll delete things that like don't even that like made sense in my mind, but maybe not to someone else. And then I'll delete it within hours just because like I don't even like to inflict pain on people. But sometimes mm-hmm. when I read tweets like the one in this particular instance, I'm like, I don't even have those kinds of thoughts. So right. I maybe this is just a long speech to right. say like how do we get to a place where it's not like i mean i think there's probably a lot of people that have the judgment enough judgment to not tweet stuff like that right no matter what age they are how do we yeah. get people not to think these racist things um in the first instance yes like to form the thought because i don't have those thoughts i don't know where this in my life where where that tool de- or like that skill developed but i just don't have racist thoughts at all in my right. brain <laughs> yeah basically how do we solve racism like especially in <laughs> yeah. young people when yeah. we grew up in this culture where asian people were so often dehumanized even in movies like the hangover and stuff way before right. that it's just it's so pervasive and i think because lately we've been seeing a lot of uh, a little bit more nuanced uh, representation in the media it's easy to forget that in the 90s or when Alexi McCammon and I were similar age, when we were growing up, there wasn't much good representation on TV. Like the extent of Asian, you know, culture was made through Ching Chong jokes and other stereotypical references. And there was not any one outlet or even one national media entity that spoke up for Asian Americans in general. And so that's kind of the unique culture that we're fighting and the fact that Asian American experiences are so varied, you know, um, unlike other, uh, some of the other ethnic minorities in America, like Hispanics, who all speak the same language, Asian Americans, we speak so many different languages. So it's hard to even like have a common way of reaching out to many of these groups, many of the immigrant groups. And saying, look, we need to do something about this, basically. Um, And the fact that there isn't a universal symbol of Asian bias. You know, I think it was the New York Times that pointed this out. Like, there's the swastika for Mm anti-Semitism. There's, you know, the news for African Americans. But there's no, like, universal symbol of, like, oh, that's hate against Asians. So it's all from that similar, uh, that nuanced culture. I think a lot of this um, difficulty yeah. in fighting it starts. Good point. 
So we all have to be better allies, which means being better bystanders, which means calling our friends and our families out when we hear this stuff, when we hear it on TV saying in the room that it's crap and changing the channel. It probably involves watching more media it centers, Asian experiences, reading books. Um, we all know the drill. We all know what to do. You've also tweeted yeah. lots I'm of telling the you though, which I would urge if- people to go to. If if um, by immersing yourself into cultures that are not your own um, to educate yourself, um, I I highly recommend K-pop is a good place to start. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I've been I wasn't doing that for any sort of um, personal growth. I, I was just doing that because because it's, it's good fun <laughs> and really good. Oh, um, but that's a good place to start. Um, and, oh, my gosh. You know, I didn't know you were a K-pop fan. Oh, my me. God. Well, we'll talk <laughs> offline. Did you even did you notice that the black pink? That's just that's because Hannah knows that I like I like K pop. So she just pringles it in when we get it when we get an opportunity because I I've gone down full rabbit holes. I'm in it. I'm like every Sunday <laughs> I watch like the shows every Sunday night because they have every Sunday they debut new songs. Like certain artists and so now on sunday i know that i can go on youtube and watch like what new songs are oh my gosh (laughs) that's awesome and that actually (laughs) reminds me like some of the responses i saw to our mtv news coverage of the hate crimes one of the comments was like as a bts fan i you know i strongly condemn anti-asian hate yes and i was like wow that's the end point like and that's you know, that's, that's the it. way that this will spread, like you said. Like, it, it gives, it, it gives it. everybody a fun entry point. Yeah, it gives you a fun right. entry point. I, I, I wish we had another 20 minutes, but the radio is going to cut us off if you <laughs> if, if we don't. So we're going to have to take the, the K-pop conversation offline and have you back so we can continue it online. Yoon Kim, MTV News Correspondent. If you're not following her on Twitter, fix that. Um, thank you for your reporting and, and for hanging out with us this morning. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Likewise, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.